Welcome to Fundamentally Drained Podcast with your hosts, Father Everett Lees, Father Tom Dahlman, and Justin Dixon. Three Christians exploring Christianity from a perspective other than the fundamental view from which we have become fundamentally drained. We'll begin the conversation, and you take it from there. Today we will talk about Scripture, uh, part two, I guess, is where we're headed to. So, uh, we'll, yes, last uh, time was the low pan episode. <laughs> For those of you who ran out and watched Big Trouble Little China, um, if you haven't, you seriously have got to see that uh, movie. I was watching uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 last night, and it just dawned on me that Kurt Russell <laughs> was the Big Trouble Little China. Have you guys seen Guardians of the Galaxy 2? I have, and it was very good. It is good, isn't it? It's good, mm-hmm. but it's also very I have never seen Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, it's, dude. It's not really? as good as the first one. Oh, really? See, I thought the humor was better, but but there's also some violence that it just every once in a while, as I'm sitting here watching it, I'm thinking, man, this is just too much. <laughs> well, but anyway, this, after I just got finished watching the Punisher series, which, oh my gosh, that one kind of, we cringed throughout it. Uh, anyway, maybe we'll do an episode on violence on TV sometime. <laughs> but back to scripture. Um, okay, so uh, we did talk about uh, our thoughts on scripture from the past, the last episode, and uh, touched on various things, reading it in community and things like that. So uh, what I want to jump towards today is inspiration, uh, truth and fact, which is funny because truth and fact of uh, the difference between those two is what actually started this episode many other podcasts uh, ago. And so um, so let's get into there. What is, uh, let's just I'm throw it out, what is what does inspiration mean? Because I'll say, because the inspired word of God is what the Bible is referenced as, or, uh, yeah, referenced as. So what does inspiration mean in that regard? Take it away. <laughs> Everett? <laughs> oh, Tom, I'm going to let you... Uh, I'm gonna let you <laughs> oh, come on. Come on, we had the good low pan thing last time where the light's coming out of his eyes and, and mouth and he's riding his hands moving across the paper furiously. So what, what is inspiration? I mean, what, when are, what are you inspired to do? What are the Bible, biblical writers, they were inspired, okay? What does that it, mean exactly, Tom? It, it means somehow that God, it's like, it's another form of the word not form it's similar to the word incarnation incarnation means the divine and the human come together and we make the same mistake with scripture that we make in thinking about jesus there are a lot of churches that emphasize just the humanity of jesus and they more progressive churches and they say you know jesus is like gandhi basically Mm -hmm. and then there are churches that emphasize just his divinity you go to that church and Jesus is Superman. Hmm. And you and it's not in keeping with Christianity or the creed that we spent hundreds of years our church, you know, our churches trying to to write because Christ is fully human and fully divine. Somehow 100% God, 100% man. So how do you mix and that's the mystery. That's the paradox of it that makes it so confusing so how do you mix 
human and divine. So we do the same thing with scripture. There are some who just emphasize the human element. This is just a human element, a human book written by people. And there are some who emphasize just the divine element. It's just a you know, a super book that came floating out of heaven in a gold box and they, their their eyes were glazed over and the Holy Spirit took them over and they're just like auto-writing this thing. And it's it's neither of those things. Somehow, um, the Spirit was present, God was present in a way that we can't define because it's a mystery. But somehow, um, God inspired these people to write and it i mean it could just be that they spent three years with jesus and they were changed and so they wrote um these writings you know or it could be that they're filled with the spirit as they wrote and god is is in them but it whatever it means it means that the holy spirit and christ were present in these writings somehow it doesn't mean that um there, it's like Jesus, just because he was the divine son of God, it doesn't mean he never tripped and fell or had bad breath or farted <laughs> accidentally when he didn't mean to. Yes. So the scripture is the same way. You know, Paul says all Cretans are liars or, you know, there are things that are confusing and it doesn't mean the human element has gone out of it. We don't work. We don't worship the Bible. It didn't float down out of a gold box. There was a process for producing it, but also by faith, we think the Spirit was present. So that doesn't really answer your question directly, because I don't think anyone can say, what does inspiration mean? It just means God and humanity came together, and somehow these are God's words, but somehow these are also human words. Outstanding outstanding and and of course you lost me after, of everything before and after when you said fart <laughs> mm. <laughs> listen no yeah. i thought go ahead what were you, were you gonna say something <laughs> no, no. um I, I, that was a great example um of uh bringing in uh the incarnation into that um uh, that's I, I have never heard that before. So I think that's an outstanding reference um, of bringing the incarnation and understanding uh, completely human, completely divine in uh, Scripture and allowing it to have the warts and things like that that come with human, but also can have that divine aspect that we um, are are. Uh, oh, I just lost the reverend reverend to um, reverend. Yeah. Anyway, um, Everett, you want to jump in there? Yeah, and just the idea is, is that is that God is working um, through these writers to try to capture what's what's going on, and I think it's really important when we remember these, you know, the scriptures that we're reading is is that you know Paul is writing to actual people in actual churches, right? He's right. he's not you know he's not sending a letter to Everett, um, you know, in 2017. He's sitting. A letter to the church in Corinth about particular issues that are going on, um, and you know, or or the prophets, you know, they're writing at a particular time in Israel's history and addressing you know things that that they're more keenly aware of. So, one, I think it's really important when we think about inspiration is also to kind of um, to think about what's going on in the letter and the community that's being written to. Um, 
so yes, it is it is inspired by God. Um, I think that that the writers of Holy Scripture, um, God and the Spirit are working through them. But um, I don't. Um, I, I think we also have to realize that they're addressing. There's a particular a particularness that they're also addressing. Right, right. Um, did you say something wrong? I just heard a ding. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Like, ding. Sorry. <laughs> Everett just offended it's, someone. <laughs> his pop tarts are ready. <laughs> Lego my ego. Um, so, but unlike. It's not the same as as incarnation because I think that incarnation. I don't think I know incarnation. As Christians, we believe Christ is worthy of worship. He's God. Ah, good. You know, yep. yep. Made flesh. Inspiration does not mean that the Scripture is worthy of worship. We don't replace right. the living Word, which is Christ, with the written Word, which is the old Hebrew Scriptures and the Christian Scriptures. So we we don't. That is, I, I mean, that can be an idol just as much as anything. You know, I, I grew up worshiping a god that had a black leather jacket with gold trim. We used, you know, I like to say. Really? Like, nice. Means the Bible, you know. Although, <laughs> oh, we got that. <laughs> okay. So, so my, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that the scriptures become our idol um, that we worship over God. It's, it doesn't mean that. I know that's so. I, it it's it's interesting, um, and and you know, because I, I can't even remember what I've said on a podcast and what I haven't. But, <laughs> um, Andy Stanley, who is uh, who's in the Southern Baptist tradition, um, got into a lot of trouble because he came out and he said, you know, the the Bible is not is not who we follow. We follow Jesus. You know, the Bible is our guide to understanding Jesus and all hell broke loose in the Southern Baptist church mm. because, you know, they said that was blasphemous. Mm. And wow. so Andy Stanley found himself in the weird position of having to backtrack saying that Jesus is the primary way which we know about God, that Jesus is the full revelation of God in order to make it, you know, to put scripture back in, in, in a different place. And it's it, it was you know that's got to be a really awkward thing to to try to do. Wow, no kidding. Um, I think I've been reading a book called Early Biblical Interpretation <clears throat> um, that a friend ding, here. Man, you know how to have a good time. <laughs> Woohoo! Yeah, yeah, and it's by uh, this guy named Kugel Kugel and Greer, a friend here um, from our parish, told me about it. He's an OBU student, but. Um, there's a paragraph in there, page 115, if you go by the book. But wow. Justin, Justin Martyr, he is writing about 155 A.D. And at that time, Justin Martyr is clearly aware that there were written gospel sources. And it also <clears throat> talks about those gospels being used in worship. But it seems, if you keep reading, and you definitely get this from a guy named uh, Papias that they preferred a living witness to a writ the oral tradition of Christ to the written word. Hmm. Um, he talks about this is what we have. We have these scriptures, but but then they preference um, living witnesses to um, the written witness. 
which is was easier for them to do at that time. You know, they had people still alive who maybe knew the apostles, but <laughs> right. Um, but I I think it's interesting um, to think about that. That um, do yeah. we, we certainly preference the written word? It seems like over maybe not in our tradition we preference you know sac- the sacramental presence of Christ, but. When, when um, someone when when someone's teaching, um, it's you know you're when you're in the presence of someone, especially like you said, oh, I know so and so, you know, I knew Paul. <laughs> we used to hang out, you know that that has a, a great deal of power. Um, just being in relationship with someone or knowing someone, it's the six degrees of Paul or something like that or Kevin Bacon, whatever. Um, so when it comes down to relationship and you're being taught this from another person, it has a much more uh, substantial. Uh, Oh, uh, change of uh, over you when it is coming from someone who knows someone who knows someone. So in relationship, when those things are coming across, that living word or that living uh, disciple, whoever it is, uh, has a great. Uh, that's where teaching comes from. When you learn from someone, and I'm thinking much larger than this. And I, I go to social media of people trying to throw things on there that change other people's minds. It's like, that's not really how it works. It's done through relationships, sitting down with someone and discussing both sides of some of something that we can see, um, which has a greater response than just barking it out over, over social media or other platforms, right. if you will. Ignatius, he, um, he seemed, and this is in the Epistle to the Philadelphians. He he preferenced, he even pres, preferenced Christian preaching over the Hebrew Scriptures, hmm. which is which is interesting. That's um, where he, I was headed next. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, go ahead. So it seems like that um, the Hebrew Scriptures were the Scriptures of the early church. That the Hebrew Scriptures were secondary to the preaching, to Christian preaching. Oh, okay. I think the word we call, the old word for that, kerygma, I think. No, that's not right. That's kind of the summation of Christian preaching. But anyway, it was the, um, they preferred preach, they, the, there, were, there was a higher authority in the um, preaching of the gospel, or the Christian preaching of the early church than there was for, the Hebrew scriptures, and they hmm. saw the script, Hebrew scriptures through the lens of the Christian preaching. Okay, I actually I wasn't going specifically there. My my to back away from this and go back to our original question um, was if, if uh, you know inspiration back to inspiration. So why not sermons? Okay, because so that kind of touches on it that uh, epistle to the Philadelphians. Uh, but are, are, are sermons? I mean, they're inspired, right? Are they the you know? Um, inspired word of a God. Do we do we take that into account when 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 Tom Dahman and <laughs> Everleaf write a sermon? Is that the inspired word of God? Oh man, if they are, we're in trouble. <laughs> Everett, that's, that, that, that's close to uh, to blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So I'm not going there. Sorry, Everett. Um, I, you know, I I think um, you know, I, I would I would hope that when when a, a somebody preaches that that they have been inspired by God to say something um, I, I I would hesitate to say I mean that every word that comes from 
from a preacher's mouth is is actually inspired. I mean, I look back at some sermons that I delivered years ago and go, you know, I'm not sure that I I still would say the same thing right. that I said a few years ago. You know, I've right. read, you know, a new book or been challenged with a new, you know, a, a new way of looking at something. Um, and so I, I, you know, I, you know, what makes, pa- what makes Paul part. different then? What makes Paul different? Yeah. Well, what makes Paul different? And this is, and this is, um, this is something that, uh, Christopher Bryan, um, talks about in his book and God spoke, um, is that the reason why these scriptures are placed, we place emphasis on them is because the church said that these are the scriptures that we go to to know about God. And there you go. Yeah, okay. And so, you know, it, it, it's it's not that going and reading a, a letter from Justin Martyr or reading the readings from St. Augustine or, or any of the other church fathers or mothers um, aren't valuable, but that the that the church at, at, at a point in life said, we have to determine what, um, what, what texts are authoritative to knowing about God and knowing about Jesus. Cause remember, they're trying to figure out at this very beginning, like how, who is Jesus? Mm-hmm. How is Jesus related to, to God? If, if there is only but one God, then how can Jesus also be God? And there, it takes some centuries to sit there and figure this out and to wrestle with it. And so to have a core set of texts is a really helpful thing when trying to like have a conversation like, you know, if we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about, um, you know, a particular issue with, with what Holy Communion means, it might be helpful for us to have a shared text to say, you know, in the Episcopal Church, the Book of Common Prayer says this about communion. So, And it doesn't mean that there's not other useful teachings out there, but, you know, for us and talking about communion the Book of Common Prayer would be authoritative. So they need authoritative texts. But the the prayer book, the prayer book would say um, of itself, you know, or our tradition would say that it's authoritative because it is from the words of Scripture. So there's, I'd say the apostles um, have a higher authority because they were with Jesus. And they, um, I mean, there's, anyway... You guys don't have sermon committees that you meet with on a weekly basis that <laughs> no. that work through your writings, your sermons, and, and validate them and choose well, them. No, I, I, so, so Tom introduced me to a to a, a friend um, here locally, um, and he's a he's a minister in uh, the Church of Christ tradition, and um, he preaches from the lectionary. Um, he doesn't tell his congregation that's what he's doing. Um, Until now. Um, <laughs> on a weekly basis and go through the upcoming Sunday readings and, and hmm. you know, challenge each other on, on, on how to read the scriptures. That's what you're doing with him? Yeah. Oh, nice. That's awesome. We Everett said something about, or you asked, what about our sermons? I think that we have the human element, you know, Everett said, I wouldn't say the same things anymore that I had said before. The human element, we can't discount it, even though we're, we'll change. I think this inspiration in that sense comes because this is a, um, the sermon is part of the Eucharist. The, so is the gospel. Everything that's done from the moment we process in to the end is, is all part of Eucharist. And so somehow, 
even it, even with weak, fallible words, when we preach, um, people can be changed. You know. Hmm. So it's a, when it's about the gathered community coming together, and the and God is present when that happens. We believe by faith, even when stupid things are said from the pulpit. Um, it, it talks about God works through the foolishness of what is preached, and I forget where that text is. Right, right, right. Um, well, and, and and sort of dovetailing on that is. Um, that I think that we, when we talk about the inspired word of God, I think sometimes we falsely equate that with saying that here is this, here's what this text means. So, um, you know, we we mm. we tend to, yeah. at least in modern ways, of try to settle on what does this really mean. So, whether you're progressive and you're part of the Jesus Seminar, who you know is voting with with marbles. Um, as to which texts were actually things said by Jesus and which weren't, or if you're on the conser- you know, the conservative fundamentalist side, and you're trying to sit there and say, "Here's what this one text means," uh, both of them, I think, uh, do a disservice to understanding Scripture as divinely inspired, because it is the reading of the Word, um, and and then how that is manifested in our lives that is also very important. And where I am in my particular life changes over time. And so how I encounter a text at this point in my life may be different than how I encounter it at another point. Agreed. Agreed. Tom, he, he's tapping his desk again. He's getting really serious. He's getting fired up. <laughs> he's getting inspired. <laughs> hey, uh, every, now that I pick on you, I'm going to compliment you. Um, this goes back to something that you've said in the past to where, and I don't remember what it what podcast it was, but where at any time we can rely on the church uh, when we, and your reference was, when we don't have the faith, when we don't have the answers, we can go back and lean and rely on, oh, it was doubt, that was what it was, um, on the church, because when the church sat down, these committees for hundreds and hundreds of years, um, when they were deciding on what books make up the Bible, um, we can rely on the inspired or the Holy Spirit working through those people. So I think that's kind of where the difference of, you know, Tom's, you know, Sunday sermon in the Bible scripture has <laughs> differences. Um, I think we could all agree with there. So, um, even though Tom, I think your sermons are great. You too, E. Um, so, okay, let's, let's move in, if, if I can into one more question, maybe this podcast episode. Um, so this is something that I have, um, I think about often, um, when it comes down to what is, what is truth and that, that word is so loaded for me that I, I don't even know where to go with it, but let's just throw it out there. When, uh, truth comes out of it, does everything that Christians do, and uh, I'm going to leave that as is, have to come from the Bible. So that just a great example is this podcast. Everything we talk about, does it have to trace back to the Bible? Does everything we do have to trace back to the Scriptures? Y- yes. Yes. No. I, you know, I uh, we- uh, my, my ethics professor in seminary, Doug Harrison... Um, he used to always say the the Bible doesn't say anything about microwaves. <laughs> you know, good. are microwaves moral or immoral? Well, it's it doesn't talk about that. Um, 
And so I think, you know, I think there's sort of this mistake where where we go and we, you know, we flip through the the Bible and we land on a passage and we say, okay, this is this is the word that I needed to hear um, today. And I think rather than I think that you that you have to wrestle with the narrative of Scripture, but that doesn't mean we can go to you know on each and every issue and go to a specific text and say okay here's the answer to be found here. Mm-hmm. But I do think people of Christian have to wrestle with the shared story that they're a part of. Right. I think that um, uh, Tom alluded to the last episode too of saying that, uh, or maybe you ever. I don't remember. Someone said that. Um, taking scripture, taking something and getting one specific meaning out of it is something that is new to scripture. It's not something that was done in the past, you know, and that's the rolling it over and finding out different meanings and the ideas behind it and things like that, as opposed to just the, oh, well, this means exactly this. It speaks for itself, you know, kind of thing. So uh, love the microwave quote. <laughs> it's outstanding. Tom, what were you going to say? Uh, nothing, I. I was just listening. Does the good uh, stuff. does it so okay? So does it does everything have to trace back to there? If we say something, is it going to? Is someone? I, I feel like, and I feel like things too, especially you know, in this podcast. If we say something, um, that may be something someone can come up to us and go, "Well, that's not scriptural." Where did that come from? How did that, you know, things like that. So what do we do with that? Is that something that we are allowed as Christians to speak outside of Scripture? I know, as you said, it doesn't necessarily talk about microwaves. It doesn't talk about a lot of things. Um, and so where does where where do we come up with those things through prayer, through relationship, through the church itself? I know uh, general conventions happen in, in all denominations and they go and decide upon these things. Um, what things being, you know, uh, ideas, topics, rules, laws, whatever they may be, um, uh, different things that they agree with. Uh, but what came down to me for this was reason. Um, and, and reasoning in something done through discernment and something done through prayer, and I guess that I can only speak to this as working within my own life, is that when I am spending time in prayer, um, that I can sit down and reason <laughs> um, through the Spirit, through its prodding of saying, you know what, this this isn't good, this isn't good, or this is good, and we should, you know, th- we follow this or don't follow that. But just sitting down and allowing the Spirit to come over you through prayer and discernment, as I said, or meditation, whatever it is you do, I think that's really, really important because. The Bible doesn't say anything about microwaves. So when you come across these things, how do we? How do we? How else do we uh, derive truths in our life? If we can use that term, any other thoughts? Well, our tradition, the Anglican, we have said that um, from Hooker, it's kind of taught that there's this, and Hooker never actually used the term three-legged stool. But he did. We really no. <laughs> I didn't no. know that. <laughs> But we we have scripture, tradition, and reason, and and we kind of we are guilty in quoting that of doing what um, our fundamentalist what we accuse fundamentalists of, which is reading our own context into the text. Hmm. So they we assume that when Hooker meant reason, he meant this when he said reason that he meant the same thing that a modern 
um, someone in the midst of this debate about science would mean by reason, and that's not what Hooker meant. What Hooker meant was we have scripture and we have tradition, and we use this God-given human reason as we go back and forth between scripture and tradition, right? and we try to figure out what... what um, what God is saying or what the plan is. And so they were a reformed Catholic Anglicans are reformed Catholic. So they accept that, you know, the prior to the reformation it was all about tradition and we know it's about scripture and tradition. And we're going to use our reason to f- figure out in this constant struggle, like Jacob wrestling with God. Yes. Um, Israel. So we have, we use our reason to figure out, you know, the balance. Where do we find this balance between Scripture and tradition? What the Church has always done. Because the Church existed before the New Testament. That's a hard thing for some people to hear. But we... Woo, we yeah. That's we, a good <laughs> we cannot... I mean, it took... It took 300 years for the church to even come together and agree on a list of scripture. And then we had a list of scripture, and then Martin Luther took some of the books out in the Reformation. And he wanted to take more out, but he was, uh, he was stopped. But the Bible, most evangelicals or Protestants read, they got from the Reformation. It's not even as old as the Bible um, that you know, the Catholics, Orthodox, Anglicans are using. So so you can't say, you can't look at history and say that um, the church didn't have some kind of authority or tradition didn't have some kind of authority apart from scripture. Right. And I think it's, and I, and I think it's, there's a great book from Willow Creek to Sacred Heart and the author talks about his movement to the the Catholic tradition from an evangelical tradition. And one of the things he said is, you know, when I came to realize that there was this whole period in which the church existed without a a New Testament was transforming for them. And he says, so what is it that they were doing? And he goes, they were gathering for Holy Eucharist. Mm. Um, you know, they were centered around particular um, you know, forms of, of, of how the church was organized, the you know, threefold ministry of bishop, priest, and deacon. I mean, and so he says that that was actually an entrance point back into the the, the Catholic tradition was this realization that that's what sustained the church for until there was a New Testament. Right, right. That's a, uh, that's a very good point. Um, that gives me a lot to think about. Actually, that's a good statement, and um, we're we're out of time already. <laughs> And uh, part three coming. Um, I, I, I thought you know, that was part three. Oh, I thought that was part three. It was? Oh. Yeah. I'm so confused now. I don't know. <laughs> so anyway, something's coming. Uh, we actually have to, at some point, talk about truth and fact. So by gosh, we're going to start with that next time. Um, so that's where we're headed. for. So uh, good information this time. May the peace of the Lord be always with you. Thanks for joining us today. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at, at @fundrainpod. We'd love to hear your comments on our episodes and also suggest future episode topics. Also, if you enjoy what we're doing, go on to iTunes and give us a review, please. Thanks a lot.